Amen. Thank you, Raquel Morales. That will be hard for me to get used to. Uh, my name is Matthew Magnus, <clears throat> and you'll have to forgive me, I've been dealing with a cold or hoarseness over the last several weeks, and it won't go away. And my oldest daughter, Maeve, was supposed to sing a duet with Raquel this morning, but was up last night with a stomach flu, so she's at home and very disappointed. But I'm sure she's watching online, so love you, Maeve. Now, several months ago, Aaron had asked me if I would be able to speak this morning, and he did a terrible thing. He said, preach on whatever you want. And so I did what any astute man finding himself in that position would do. I went home and asked my wife. <laughs> and as we talked about it and we hashed it over and did a little brainstorming, I did what any astute man in that position would do. I listened. <laughs> and the gist of the idea that she had was that here, at the end of this year, the final day of the year, and on the doorstep of the one to come, that we could be encouraged to look back over the year that has passed and to reflect on how we have stewarded what God has given us over the last year and to be mindful of our opportunities in the one to come. And so I thought, well, the parable of the talents, the perfect message for what I want to say, <clears throat> the perfect scripture to fit that idea. The problem is that I was wrong. And so to set the stage for our lesson this morning, last week we celebrated the birth of Christ. And we've been intentional, the guys that have spoken up here, Ted and Aaron, about not just the message that Jesus came, but why he came, to never divorce the two. And in a span of one short week, here we are at the end of Matthew, Matthew 25, and Jesus is a fully grown man. He's in Jerusalem. He's made his triumphal entry to the crowd singing Hosanna in the highest and waving palm branches. He's chased the money changers out of the temple. He's been teaching there. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees have come and tried to question him and trap him, catch him out. And in Matthew 23, he's just finished 
giving the Pharisees an absolutely brutal tongue lashing. Publicly shaming them, calling them hypocrites in front of everyone, calling them snakes and a brood of vipers. And saying that they would not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the truth that he is speaking to them there and in the days to come is so insulting to their pride and it so riles them up that they're going to seek to have him arrested and killed. And starting in Matthew 24, as Jesus goes out and his disciples are pointing him out the glories and the splendors of the temple, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Not one stone will be left upon another. And he goes out, as he does every night, to the Mount of Olives, out of Jerusalem. And there his disciples begin to ask him, hey, wait a minute. You're supposed to take over and be our Messiah. You're supposed to kick the Romans out of here. If the temple gets torn down, we can't win that way. Can you kind of clarify what's going on? What do you mean? When's this stuff going to happen? And from there, Jesus begins to speak about his second coming in very prophetic language about signs and events that must occur before he comes back. But to their question about when, Jesus answers them, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And he goes on to say that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be the second coming of the Son of Man. And now the comparison is not uh, of an ever-increasing wickedness, right? that the world's going to be so bad by the time that Christ returns, as it was before the flood. But it was that in the days before the flood, people were just living life, going about their business. I mean, yeah, sure, they walked by that crazy guy building the boat. But he's been building the boat for years and years and years. And it's a comparison of people on the precipice of a cataclysmic, earth-shattering event, and they are completely unaware. And so it will be when Jesus returns. And so Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, 
That's your job. Is to be ready. Be ready for my return. And to teach this idea of being ready, he uses a series of parables. Simple stories that convey a deeper truth. And so there's a comparison in Matthew 24, at the end, verse 45, of the faithful and the unfaithful servant. The master goes away, and when he comes back, does he find a faithful servant doing what he asked? Or, since it took him a while to get back, does he find the unfaithful servant treating the the others harshly? And he goes on from there. He moves into the, the parable of the ten virgins. And if you're familiar with that one, it's uh, the bridegroom was delayed. And the, the bridesmaids, the, the ten virgins, were ready for the party. There was five who were prepared and five that weren't. They didn't have enough oil in their lamps. Their oil ran out and they had to run back into town. But by the time they got back, the bridegroom had come. They had gone into the party and the door was shut. And by the time the five foolish bridesmaids or the five foolish virgins got there, it was too late. And they couldn't get in. And that leads into the parable of the talents. So to help you understand before we read this parable about just what's being said here, let's talk a little bit about the talents. Now, the Romans, they had a silver coin, right? And it had Caesar's image stamped on it. It's called a denarius. You remember Jesus saying, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, right? It has his image on the coin. And that coin was one day's wage for a Roman soldier. You worked for a day and you earned a denarius. Now, a talent was a unit of measurement of weight. And it was equal to about 6,000 of those coins. Or about, think about it as 20 years worth of wages. And so if we're in today's context, right, and you're a, a working man, a meager wage of, let's say you're earning $200 a day, over 20 years, a single talent, you're talking about $1.2 million. And so as we'll read, the guy with five talents, you're talking about a sum of $6 million. And two talents, $2.5 million. Okay? We're talking about significant amounts of wealth. Life-changing wealth. So follow along here, Matthew 25. Verse 14, the parable of the talents. For it, Jesus speaking about the, is the kingdom of heaven, his return. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, would you open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us this morning? Lord, give us an open ear to hear and do your will. Lord, help us to be ready for your coming. We ask for the endurance to wait until your kingdom comes. Amen. So you can see right away, thematically we have some of the same elements in this series of parables. The idea of a master who leaves and then after a long time he returns. A bridegroom who was delayed in coming back to the bridal party. And again, a rich man who goes on a journey, and after a long time, he returns. Now, it's pretty easy to see that Jesus is talking about himself as the master. Right? He came to earth. After A short while after this, he's going to die on the cross, and he's going to go away. He's going to go to prepare a place. And after a time, he's going to come back. And another theme woven through these parables is the idea that we only have a limited amount of time. One day he will come back. We are running out of time. whether that's because of his return or because we come to the end of our mortal life. But to the parable of the talents, 
it can be hard for us to see past that word talent. The word talent as we have it today, meaning gifts or abilities, uh, things we're good at, right? Our public speaking, teaching, being a good singer, being able to play an instrument, being a good athlete. The definition as we use it today actually comes from this parable, a misinterpretation of this parable. And it gets even easier for us to see it that way because of how the talents are portioned out, right? This guy gets five, this guy gets two, and this guy gets one. Now, obviously, some people are more talented than others, right? Obviously, we can say that God has blessed some people more than others. We okay with that? And so we begin to craft this idea in our head that it sounds really good to us because aren't we pious? That this idea that everything that we have, our wealth, our possessions, our gifts and our abilities, our families and our friends, our careers, our circles of influence. Those are all gifts from God. They all belong to Him. They're not ours. And we are just stewards of His gifts for as long as He wills. And so naturally, the Sunday school lesson that comes out of this is how are you using the things that God gave you? Are you using them for him or for you? And that was my original intention with this message. And the idea is only bolstered by the fact that Jesus shows us that in the story that when he returns, there will be an accounting. When the master comes back, he settles the accounts with them. He literally, show me what you've done with what I've given you. And we can see that the first two, the faithful servants, they both doubled the original capital investment, right? And the response from the master is one and the same. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, who exactly is this guy who says that turning $6 million into $12 million is faithfulness over a little? What must be the immeasurable amount of his wealth? But we come to the last servant. And here's where that Sunday school lesson falls apart. 
The one who takes what the master gave him and he buries it in the ground because he was afraid. Because he had a perception of the master as hard and demanding. And the master responds to that servant, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Question mark. In a sense, he's saying, if that is what you really thought of me, is that, if that is who you thought that I am, then at least you should have given it, taken the money and put it in the bank and earned a little bit of interest. And the parable turns deadly serious right here. He says, take the talent away from him, give it to the guy that has ten. For to everyone who has more, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And listen, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time that Jesus uses that phrase, the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, he is talking about hell. We've been going through the book of John, right? And we've been hearing about Jesus as the light of the world. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. And at the end of John's revelation, when he's given a vision of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, he says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. There is no darkness in God's presence. The outer darkness is eternal separation from God. And so now we see what Jesus was really getting at. The master gave each of his servants a parcel of life-changing value. We said it was easy to identify Jesus as the master, as the bridegroom through these parables. Well, it's just as easy to say that we are the servants. Jesus gave us a gift before he left. It's the most important gift that we have. It's the gift of Christ crucified. The gospel of salvation. And it's the only determining factor for our eternal destination. 
Do I accept God's grace by faith or not? And what am I doing with it? What do I do with salvation? The servant who buried it in the ground did nothing with it. He didn't accept it as his own. And when the master came back, he said, Here, here it is, just as you gave me. Have it back. The faithful servants knew what the master wanted them to do. And they multiplied the gift. Those faithful servants were ready when the master came back. Now, who did Jesus leave behind? Who did Jesus give the work of spreading the gospel and making disciples? You and I, right? That's what he gave us to do. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, making disciples. So now we can look back over the parable of the talents and see the truth. The talents are the gift of salvation. And it comes from God. It's not ours. It's what he gives us. And he offers it to every person. Being a faithful servant who accepts God's gift means that you respond in obedience by following what Christ has commanded you to do. To become a disciple and to make disciples. That when Jesus returns, we will all give an account. What did you do with it? And it won't be, what did your mom and dad do with the gospel of salvation? And it won't even be, what did Bethesda Church do? It will be, what did you do? We aren't left to wonder about how we should wait. So are you ready for Jesus to come back? And to be found faithful, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. You know, I couldn't help but think about Palmer as I was contemplating that. Because I know that that's what he heard. What an example. He set for 
the young men of this church. On that day, you will finally and fully understand the insignificance of the things of this world. That this stuff is worth nothing. And what will be is worth everything. So as I close here, I want to leave you with one of the great mercies of God is that as we wait for Christ's return, He waits for you. As you are able to think back over the last year, Maybe you, you can think back and, and you haven't responded to the many opportunities you've had. You haven't responded to the gospel. You don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you know about Jesus Christ, but you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's you. Okay? And we're, we're going to observe communion here today. And one of the things, uh, this is the Lord's Supper. And you've got to know him to be invited in. So as you think back over the past year, of the opportunities that you've had. And maybe you've let this year slip by and haven't taken, taken a hold. You've still got a couple hours left. But I want to speak to you Because there's a dangerous place to be if you, let me put it this way, the life of the faithful servant cannot look like the life of the unfaithful servant. If I think that I'm saved, but my life looks like I'm not saved, then I am deceived. Don't be caught in that place. Don't be sitting in the back rows. Don't be hiding out, thinking, coming to church is, I'm good. What have you done with the gospel? What do you need to do?
to be obedient to what he's called you to. Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron.